You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. see good things come out of this thing. We're going to see good things happen because God works all things together for good. Yes, there have been losses and our hearts break for the families that have suffered losses during this time. Our hearts mourn with them and grieve with them over the loss of their loved ones. But God has a perfect plan and he intends to use their loss for his gain. He's going to use all things and that's what we believe in and that's what we hope in. And that's what our prayer is. Over the last few years, tragedy has come close to all of us. Whether it was the fear and disorder brought about by COVID, political unrest, mass shootings, or financial stress, things haven't been easy. As Pastor Dave will encourage us in today's message, this is an opportunity to draw closer to God, not push Him away. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 18 as he begins his message, A Good King. Turn into your Bibles to 2 Kings 18. Let's read verses 1 through 7, please. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza in its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Shall we pray? Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can, come, we can come to you tonight on such a time as this. We thank you, Lord, for this medium. We thank you, Lord, for uh, us being able to understand this medium. And I certainly thank you, Lord, that we can continue to move ahead in your word like this, Lord. I ask that a blessing be upon us all as we now look to your word for strength, look to your word for guidance, look to your word for peace. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to mold us and shape us into the image of our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. You're taking care of things. You're still on the throne. You haven't abdicated the throne. You're still ruling and reigning. So, Lord, we thank you, Lord. Now, open up our hearts. Fill us afresh with your spirit. Anoint us, Lord, that we can look at your word, study your word, and speak to us, Lord, as only you can. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So, if you were with us as we looked at chapter 17, Hosea was king. And the northern kingdom of Israel was carried away by the Assyrians. And in their place, the Assyrians sent people from other nations. They came in and dwelt in their land. They possessed their houses and dwelling places. They took their crops. They took their livestock. They took everything that had belonged to them. They just came in and and assimilated. But they didn't know the God of the land. And he had sent lions among them to kill them. And they called on the Assyrians, and the Assyrians sent back a priest who tried to help them, but the priest didn't understand God. He didn't know God himself. He didn't have a relationship. So although he taught them how to fear God, they still held on to the idols and all the other things that they brought with them from Assyria. The kingdom of Israel, though, sadly, no longer exists. It's never going to return. God had been long-suffering with his people. He had spent years upon years and centuries with them, long-suffering as they went from sin to sin to idol to idol to various things that they did. It must have broken God's heart, but he suffered long with them. But the people provoked him to anger because of their idolatry. So he removed them from his sight. He brought his judgment and wrath upon them and removed them. It's a scary picture, folks. It's a scary picture for us. Yes, our God is long-suffering. He is incredibly long-suffering and suffers long with us. But for how long? How long will he suffer with us before his judgment falls upon us? I remember reading when the disciples asked Jesus, when will the end of the age be? What will be the signs of the end of the age? And he said to them, as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Noah, well, Noah was talking about and building an ark for 120 years. 120 years before God's judgment fell in the form of a great flood. And we're living in the days of Noah right now. There's marriage and being given in marriage. There's all sorts of things. And there's debauchery everywhere. That's a fallen, fallen world. How long, oh Lord, how long will you strive with us? We don't know. It's time to get ourselves right with God. And I've said this before, and I don't mind saying it again. God is sending us a wake-up call. He wants to test us and see if we're going to still remain faithful to him because Scripture tells us that when Jesus comes back, will he find faith? Will he find those who believe in him and trust in him, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what's happening in their lives, will he find faith? Well, I think he will because I know you have it. And I know that you're hanging on to him with everything you have, with every ounce of your fiber and every ounce of your being. You're hanging on to God. You're hanging on to him. And he's going to bless you for that. And we're going to see good things come out of this thing. We're going to see good things happen because God works all things together for good. Yes, there have been losses. And our hearts break for the families that have suffered losses during this time. Our hearts mourn with them and grieve with them over the loss of their loved ones. But God has a perfect plan. And he intends to use their loss for his gain. He's going to use all things, and that's what we believe in, and that's what we hope in, and that's what our prayer is. So Israel is no longer, it's it's gone, never to return. They've been carried away by the Assyrians. It's a sad ending for these children of God. All God wanted was them to be his kids and him to be their God. He had warned them and warned them and warned them. 
He asked them to repent. He asked them to return to worship him, but they did not heed his warnings. Are you being warned today? Is God warning us today to return to him in such a way? To give up our idols, to give up those things that we worship instead of God? Is he calling us back today? I think he is. I think he's calling us back today. He's calling you back. He's calling me back. He's calling us back. Because I believe there's going to be a great revival coming out of this. And he's going to need us to bring forth God's word, but he's going to need us to live the life. We can't just talk the talk. We have to walk the walk. Our words and our life has to match for people to see it and to be real. People are looking right now and they're scared. And they're looking for hope. And we have that hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. Although God warned Israel, they continued to follow after foreign gods. And they made idols for themselves. And they worshiped the idols instead of the one true living God. And see, our God is radically and vehemently opposed to idolatry. This was the first commandment he gave to Moses on that day. No other gods before him. Why? Because there's only one true living God, and that's him. There are other gods. Yes, there are other gods, and we see them all through the Old Testament. There's Ashtoreth, the gods of the goddess of sensuality. There's Mammon, the god of money. There's Molech, the god of pleasure, and Baal, the god of intellect. You know what's interesting? We have those same gods today, although we don't use those names, but we have the same gods today, the God of sensuality, the God of money, the God of pleasure, the God of all kinds of intellect and things. Sadly, there's a host of other gods out there too, a host of other gods that man will always serve some kind of God. There's some master passion in your life that controls you. And if you make that a priority over serving God, that is called an idol. Interesting. Those of you who say, well, I don't serve any God at all. I don't serve one God at all. Well, guess what? You do. You're serving yourself. You're worshiping you. You're worshiping yourself. And that might be the worst God of all. In Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, I'm going to read it because I think it's important why we're on this subject. In Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5, it says this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third, fourth generations of those who hate me. Interesting. Interesting. We read, it's important do we read this word jealousy? And it's important to know what he's describing here. God is not, he is not describing the sin of jealousy that we find in Galatians 5.20. He's not describing that sin. When we use the word jealous, we use it of being envious of someone who has something that we don't have. A person might be jealous or envious of another person because they have a nice car or a nice home or they have better looks or, or, or whatever. They might have an ability, like an athletic ability, and we become jealous of that person. Well, that's not the kind of jealousy that God is talking about. He's not jealous or envious because someone has something he wants or needs. In these verses in Exodus, God is speaking of people making idols and bowing down to them and worshiping those idols instead of giving God the worship he deserves and he alone deserves. 
God is possessive of all worship and service that belong to him. It is a sin, as God points out in this commandment, to worship or serve anything other than him. It's a sin when we desire or are envious or are jealous of someone because they have a nicer truck than I have or they have a bigger home than I have or whatever. That's a sin. But when God is jealous, he's jealous because we belong to him. And we start worshiping the truck, worshiping the home, worshiping the job, worshiping the kids, worshiping whatever, the money. That takes his place. That takes his place. God cares about you deeply. Hasn't he proved it by sending his son Jesus Christ to a cross? Hasn't he proven that he loves you? Hasn't he proven that he would give everything for you? Because guess what, guys? He did. He gave everything for you. Everything he had, he gave to you. He wants the best for you. He has you on his mind. Scripture says his thoughts to you were more than the sand of the sea. When you get a chance to go to the beach again, whenever they open them, take a handful of sand and let it drift through your fingers and try to count the number of little sand things. And then look around at the beach, just your beach, not including all the beaches in the world. That's a lot of sand. Think about it. God's thoughts for you, his good thoughts for you, are more than the sands of the sea. He knows that these other gods that come into our lives, money, sex, drugs, all those things that come into our lives that we put on God, put on, put as gods, he knows that these things will destroy you. They will destroy you completely, and he knows that. And he's jealous for you. Sadly, at the end of chapter 17, Judah, Judah, the, the, the nation of David, they begin to fall into idolatry as well. And as we now come into chapter 18, we see a new king coming into the southern kingdom of Judah. His name is Hezekiah. Let's reread verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. So the new king comes in. Notice that Hezekiah was king during the last six years of King Hosea's reign in the northern kingdom. So they were contemporaries. I'm, I'm giggling because Hezekiah had a front row seat to watch the fall of Israel. He had a front row seat to watch what happened to a kingdom that forsook God. God hadn't forsaken them. God was keeping his covenant with them. They weren't keeping their covenant with God. And Hezekiah had a front row seat for six years to watch this nation just tumble down the hill and go into nothing and be dissolved completely. What a great lesson it was for him. What a great lesson that he took to do. It's interesting, though. His name, Hezekiah, means the Lord strengthens. And as we go through this study of Hezekiah in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see that indeed God strengthens him and accomplishes so much through this good king. So much so, Hezekiah is written about in at least three books in the Bible. Second Kings, we get an overview, but we get a real in-depth look at in Second Chronicles. And the prophet Isaiah writes a lot about Hezekiah also. Notice it says one thing in verse, it says that, Hezekiah did right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father David had done. That's verse 3. 
And he, Hezekiah, did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. So finally, we get a good king, a good king following after David, a good king who had a heart for the Lord, a good king who wanted nothing but the Lord to be exalted in the kingdom and wanted people to follow the Lord. And he's the only, the fourth king to have that distinction. He's only the fourth king in all the kings of Judah to have that distinction because there was Asa, Jehoshaphat, and afterwards there's going to be Josiah. If you have your scorecard, you can look at that and you can sing the following kings. You can see there's only four kings that are labeled good. Hezekiah is one of them. A good king. A good king. Look at verse 4. What made Hezekiah good in the eyes of of the Lord. Remember, some of the other kings were good to a point. They were, they were good to a point and then they compromised. They were good to a point then they didn't do everything they were supposed to do. They loved the Lord half-heartedly. Remember when we discussed that? They loved the Lord half-heartedly. But look what it says as far as Hezekiah is concerned in verse 4. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden image and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. So here you have Hezekiah following after his father, David. Now, when he says that, it means the forefather, David. He's of David's lineage. He's of the tribe of Judah. He's all coming down from David. He tears down the high praises and he breaks the sacred pillars and he cuts up the wooden images. Hezekiah was considered one of Judah's most zealous reformers. He was a reformer. He wanted to bring them from following idols back to following God. He wanted them to reform themselves, to repent and seek God with their whole heart. He forbade them to worship in the high places. They had to worship in Jerusalem. They had to worship in the temple. That's where the high places were built. Remember, they built the high places so that they didn't have to go to Jerusalem and they made these high places and they would make altars up there and they would go and they would burn incense and they even sacrificed up there. This is totally against God's law. A lot of the other kings allowed this to happen. A lot of the other kings didn't tear down the high places, but Hezekiah, he tore them down. He tore them down. He's one of the few kings that does this and God will honor him because of this. See, the lesson we need to learn here is that when we follow God totally, God honors that and then he blesses us. Now you might argue with me, well, God's going to bless us anyhow. Yes, he does. He certainly does. He certainly blesses us and we've been blessed through Jesus Christ. Yes, we have. But if we continue to follow God and we do what is right totally and trying to do everything we can, God is going to continue to bless us. He's going to continue to pour his heart out upon his children because we're now his children. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. And we are heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So that's a wonderful, beautiful thing there that he ours. So as Hezekiah took over as king, the first thing he did was start to remove these false idols, remove these false gods from the worship centers that were created in Judah. Remember, at the end of 17, Judah was beginning to fall into the worship of idols. He destroyed them. He got rid of them so the people would turn back to God. That's the whole point. If my people who are called by my name 
we're, 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 we're at a precipice here, folks. It, it's a high point. It's a high point. Don't look at it as a low point. What's interesting here is for some reason, they kept the bronze serpent that Moses had made in the wilderness. Now turn to Numbers 29. Numbers 29. We've talked about this before, but I, I think it's written here. And we need to talk about it one more time. In, Moses, in, in, in Numbers 29, it's a great little story here. Beginning in verse 5 through 9. Moses, uh, 21, I'm sorry. Did I say 29? I apologize. Numbers 21. I'll get it right sometime. I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. Then they journeyed to Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water. Our soul loathes as worthless bread. Talking about the manna, angels' food. They don't like it. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against, uh, against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take away the serpents from us. So Moses intercedes for the Lord. He prays to the people, for the people. Look at verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on the pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a fiery serpent bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. A couple interesting things here. One of the things is that people had made an idol out of what this thing was. 800 years had gone by. 800 years had gone by since Moses had made this thing, and now they're worshiping it. They're burning incense to it. It's most crazy thing. They've preserved this thing for 800 years, and now they're burning incense to it. At once, it was a victory for God. It symbolized God's victory, and they make it into an idol. They make it into an idol, and they're worshiping this pole, this bronze serpent. Man is prone to want to worship. Man has the desire and is built-in thing to want to worship. But we want to worship something we can see. We want to worship an object. And when this happens, it's a sign that we've lost our consciousness of God. We've lost our consciousness of God to look at this. We've, we, we, we've misplaced something in, in that relationship. We've misplaced the, the awareness that God will never leave nor forsake us. We've misplaced that God is with us at all times. But the second thing an idol tells us is that somewhere when man has a longing to, to regain that was, was lost, that's why he builds an idol. He's trying to get back what is lost. Instead of going to the one true living God, he goes to an idol. I'm longing for something. I'm longing for that consciousness and an awareness of God, so I make this thing. But Hezekiah called it exactly what it was, Nehushtan. It was a thing of bronze. You are This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. As you notice in the course of history, an entire nation can be led astray by following after other gods. But the leader of the nation is the one who sets the example. In so many cases in 2 Kings, the one who was in charge was himself acting wickedly or was swayed by the people who were doing evil practices. 
Unfortunately, you see the downfall and destruction of a nation when it chooses to stray from following after God. What does that mean for today? What are the patterns and practices being set into place in this nation? When you refer to history, it doesn't look promising. But that doesn't mean that you have to give in to societal pressures and practices. Your example of standing up against the norms could affect others around you. You never know who's observing and how they might change their own perspective based on your example. If you have any questions about what you heard today, you can reach us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We encourage you to keep looking to Scripture for answers about all of life's questions. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. If you want to hear this message again or others like it, you'll be able to find them on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to join us again next time to learn more valuable lessons in 2 Kings right here on Assure Hope.